Welcome back to Mari's Music. Today we're taking a look at the Martin Standard Series. My name is Mari Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And we have a lot to talk about. How you doing today, Spoon? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you very much for asking. We have so much to talk about today. Enough of the jibber-jabber. Nobody wants to hear how we're doing. How is this Standard Series doing? The Standard Series is doing just great. And today's standard series, in the opinion of many people, is as good or better than any guitar that Martin has been making for its long history. And I just want to say that when we say the word standard, to some ears, it means basic, the standard, you know, that you expect, when in fact, the standard you expect from Martin set the standard for what an acoustic guitar should be. And the D28, their, their ship of the line model from the standard series, more people want to own a D28 than any other guitar in the world. So yeah, standard series is doing this great. So I think we can definitely both agree that the Martin Standard Series are the standard. And I want to begin by asking you a question. What are some of your favorite Standard Series Martins, and do you currently own them? Um, actually, I don't. The only guitar that I own that is uh, made with Standard Series specs is a 1996 00 C16. And... At that time, when they first came out with the 16s, they had the same neck joint, the same neck shape, the same bracing as standard series instruments. So it was basically a, a long scale uh, Martin with quarter inch scallop bracing. So it was the closest thing that Martin had ever made to the OM-18 since the 1930s at that time. And then shortly after that, a few years later, Martin changed the 16 series into their sort of their, their less expensive line with a different neck joint and different bracing and stuff. So, but I, I've owned many standard series uh, Martins over the years. I've sold them to friends and uh, because I now basically own custom shop Martins. But um, if we're gonna talk about today, the OM28 is, one of the great Martins, and so is the D28 and the HD28, the D18. <laughs> I could go on and on. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of standard series Martins. Well, that's a really good answer. And the standard series is home to some of the most famous acoustic guitars ever. Things like the D18, the D28, the HD28. When you say these words out loud, you can't help but think of so much music history. Can you name some famous artists who not only play standard series Martins, but are often associated with them? I'm asking the question this way, because I think we can both agree the list of famous players who simply play a standard series Martin is probably in the millions. Oh, absolutely. Millions is a big number, but we could spend an entire podcast just naming people who play Martins whose names would be familiar with a lot of people. So I think once we move ahead and we start looking at the individual styles inside this uh, standard series, um, I will drop some names here and there that just come off the top of my head and you, you should do the same. Of, uh, when you hear of this model, what name pops in your head and, and we can go through and probably get a lot of those uh, famous player names under our belts. Well, speaking of each model, why don't we start talking about these standard series guitars? There are so many to pick from. I guess if I made you answer off the cuff, if I just said, don't think about it, just say it, what is the most iconic standard series in your mind? Go. The D28. That's what I was going to say. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> I guess some people would say the D45. However, I'll add that the HD28 is more like the D28 from the old days than the current D28. And when we get into the individual styles, I'll expand on that a little bit. Ah, you said styles. I'm used to looking at things like the D15, the triple O15, and those aren't styles, those are models. Why would there be styles in the standard series and not models? Well, the way that Martin has always made guitars, uh, the, the style, for instance, D18, D stands for the body size, dreadnought, 
18 stands for the style, and the style includes both the cosmetic trim that's associated with that style and also the woods that are used to create it. And so at the bottom price-wise of the standard series is style 18. And maybe you could go over the models that are currently available in style 18, and then I can talk a little more about the details of style 18. Well, I can do that, but I have a little bit of an agenda, and I'll ask you to listen very carefully, see if you can figure out where I'm going to be going with this. You can take a look at the Martin Standard Series staying on the 18 side of things, meaning mahogany. You have things like an 018, 0018, 0018, D18, and I think I'm out of 18s. Your point being? Well, in fairness, let me make my point. If you can look at the 18 side of the standard series, you could pick from that many models I just mentioned. It's sort of a short list. You can get some small body guitars. You can get a D18. And maybe if you just looked at those things in a vacuum, it looks like you have lots to pick from. But conversely, if you take that argument and go the other way, to the Rosewood side of things, you have a lot more to pick from. But I'm looking at the standard series, and if you divide it in half, the list of mahogany guitars isn't nearly as long as the list of Rosewood choices. Why is that? There are many reasons for that. One, one is that Style 18 is the only style in the standard series that uses mahogany back and sides. And so the other styles, 21, 28, 35, 36, 40, 41, 42, and 45 all have East Indian rosewood back and sides. So yes, you're correct. And why, in your opinion, is that the case? Well, that's what I want to ask you. And our listeners might have the same question. Why can you look at the Martin Standard Series and have all of those guitars to pick from? And maybe I'll rephrase that in a different way. If you can find an HD35, why is there not? a mahogany HD35. Something as awesome as the J40. Why is there not a J40 with mahogany back and sides? Is there a quick answer that you can arrive at that tells our listeners why there are so many more choices in Rosewood besides the obvious that Rosewood's better? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> speaking as a, a bona fide mahoganite, I could take offense to that, but I know that you're a rosewood lover. I was a mahogany lover my whole life, but I was eventually seduced by the dark side and and now actually own more rosewood guitars than mahogany guitars. But I still have my lone mahogany guitar, that 1996 C 16 long scale, narrow neck, scallop braced, quarter-inch braced, mahogany, Sitka spruce guitar that I love very much. And so I think there are lots of people who prefer the mahogany sound. Uh, it's a simpler sound. The overtone content that you get from mahogany back and sides reflecting the sound waves coming off the Sitka spruce top is simpler. It doesn't mean it doesn't have harmonics. It doesn't have as many layers of harmonics. It's not as warm and, and moist or woofy a sound as you get from rosewood. Some people feel that rosewood is too dark and too thick and too rich, particularly with martins, since martins have a very rich throaty sound with a lot of body resonance and a lot of body tone compared to an awful lot of other guitars out there. Um, so if you really love the Martin sound and you want it the most complex, fuller sound, you're going to go for a rosewood guitar. That being said, going back to style 18, it has simpler appointments than you get from rosewood Martins, but classic appointments. And uh, people should remember, if they don't already know, that starting actually all the way back to 2012, Martin started making certain changes to the standard series. And by 2018, they referred to it as the reimagined standard series that they brought in a variety of features that used to be seen on the old vintage series. And so they brought in things like herringbone trim on style 28 
and those diamonds and squares markers. They brought in uh, on all of them a uh, vintage toner to the tops. And so they basically realized that more and more people were hearkening back in their wishes to the Martins from the 1930s. So most of the models in the standard series look more like models from the 1930s. Not all of them. Some of them look more like models from the 1950s. But you still have the modern features of the modern Martin neck. You have the modern Martin truss rod and so forth, the modern Martin bridge with the modern Martin saddle that's uh, nice for putting in under saddle pickups to add in electronics, things like that. So they've brought a lot of vintage styling into the modern standard series. And for standard, for uh, the D18, 0018, 0018, and 018, you get the mahogany back and sides with the Sisters Spruce top. You get tortoiseshell, faux tortoiseshell binding around the neck and the pick guard that harkens back to the 1930s. You get ebony fingerboard and bridge where Style 18 used to have rosewood for many, many years. And you get the vintage open back tuners. So um, with the modern convenience of, a, of a, the high performance neck. So for mahogany lovers, there's frankly a lot to offer in Style 18. But 18 is um, both because of the mahogany and because of the simpler styling is less expensive than the Rosewood models. So let me ask you, Mr. Rosewood lover, um, what's the first person you can think of when you hear Style 18? Any Style 18 Martin, somebody that you know that's a recording artist and concert artist that plays a Style 18 Martin? Hmm. Well, while I'm thinking about that answer, I think it's important to mention that the legal team is looking over in my direction and wants me to tell you guys listening, I'm only half kidding when I say Rosewood is better. That is just an opinion and is not as factual as I let everybody believe moments ago. Okay, that out of the way. I want to say Paul Simon, but I say that with a little bit of trepidation. I'm not entirely sure I'm right. Is it factual to say his earlier work was a 12 fret D18? Fingers crossed. No, he played a 14 fret D18. Um, he may have played a, a D18S at some point, but his main uh, his main guitar during the uh, rise of Simon Garfunkel was the D18, and he that he then started jumping around guitars, and he got his Martin signature model, which was based off of the OM42, and so that's the Martin he plays primarily, but it's got a uh, custom neck on it for that signature model. But that's pretty good. Um, I would just say uh, other D18 players that come to mind, Jerry Garcia, uh, for anybody who's heard uh, the song Ripple and the album that it's on American Beauty, he was playing a Martin D18 for that. Never heard of him. Um, then you have Gordon Lightfoot, another famous D18 player. <sighs> Granted, these D18s were a little different. These are the Rosewood fingerboard and bridge D18s, which do sound different. Rosewood bridge is not as dense as as uh, ebony so you get a slightly different tone from it but um we'll end there but there's certainly many others i'm sure uh people could add in the comments other of their favorite players who play martin d18s and uh, i will also say i'll just add clarence white the late clarence white is more known for the d28 that he played but his solo work when he was recording was usually done on a d18 because he liked that clearer purer sound, less complicated sound for those fast note solos. And those of you guys laughing at the banter we're giving back and forth, I think it's worth paying attention. Spoon did say that some of those really great D18s had rosewood, fingerboard, and bridge. So even when you have a mahogany guitar, you still do need a little bit of rosewood. I'm going to try to break <laughs> things up into groups anyway to start. If I paint with too broad a brush, please stop me, Spoon. If we're looking at buying a Martin guitar, we want to be in the standard series and we want to be in the 18s. If somebody out there listening is potentially shopping, can you help them decide whether or not they should go into, say, a double O or triple O 18 versus a D18 and which players might appreciate which features there? Well, the Dreadnought's certainly famous for bluegrass pickers, but you see it across the board. Uh, some people say it's really just for flat picking. 
People like Stephen Stills and Neil Young will show you, no, you can finger pick a dreadnought without any trouble at all. But dreadnought is about base response and volume. And a lot of people who aren't, aren't used to professional level built guitars like Martin's with that wonderful resonance and projection, a dreadnought puts out a lot of sound, so much sound that it can drown out a lot of singers if they don't have big, powerful singing voices. Of course, if you have a sound man and a you know big PA, they can adjust that. But And the dreadnoughts are quite large, and some people find them uncomfortable to reach over uh, on a full-time basis. I'm one of those people. I have a Martin dreadnought, but it's not my main guitar. I prefer the smaller auditorium-sized body that you get on the triple O and OM sizes. And I find that has more balance across the strings and it has wonderful projection. It's uh, versatile for finger style and strumming and playing rock and roll. And if you uh, doubt that, just start following Mari Rutsch around because he plays a Martin OM as his main guitar. And he plays every kind of popular music you can imagine on that guitar. Double uh, O is a little less bass response than the triple O body size. And um, that is a very comfortable guitar. It should be pointed out that in the standard series, all triple O guitars are short scale. They are 24 nine inch string scale. That gives more play to the string, uh, which means you can get, particularly with light strings, you can get a full step bend out of them when you're playing lead guitar without any trouble at all. Uh, the frets are a little closer together. Your hand, and when you're out at the nut, is a little closer to the body than a long scale OM, same body size. OMs are long scale, triple O's are short scale. Double O, even slightly smaller body size, hands a little closer to the body. It's just a little more comfortable playing experience. So a lot of people have a double O or even an O size Martin as their sofa guitar, their songwriting guitar, even if they play a bigger guitar on stage. So that's really it. Uh, bass response, real big on the D, size D, uh, not as big on the OM, but still a little bigger bass and a little more projection than the triple O, which has a more gathered, punchy sound that's uh, really good for lead guitar playing. And double O takes that down a little bit, maybe even more balanced across from E string to E string and um, is uh, more comfortable for either smaller players or people who want a more smaller, more comfortable guitar while sitting. So that's my quick assessment. Thanks, Spoon. Hopefully our listeners are getting something out of this podcast. And if you are, please consider sharing it with your friends. So would you say your assessment of the 18 series guitars would also translate the same way looking at the Rosewood side of things? In terms of the body sizes, yes, definitely. But it's important to mention, as our listeners are about to discover, that not every size is available in every style in the Rosewood models. In fact, some of the uh, styles only have one model available currently. For example, what's the least expensive Rosewood Martin in the standard series? That would be the OM21. Bingo! The OM21, it's a fascinating uh, model for me and also one of my favorite models, uh, partially because it's the least expensive Rosewood model. Style 21 goes way back into Martin history. So I'm going to take a moment for those people who are not familiar with these Martin model names. There are going to be people out there that wonder, where did these numbers come from? Style 18, Style 21, and so forth. Well, back when the company first started in 1833, and in those first years, Mr. Martin only made a few sizes, and these are much smaller guitars than you see from Martin or other builders today. They're what people call a parlor guitar. So you had the very little size four, size three, size two, size two and a half, and size one because in those days, carpenters, the smaller the number, the bigger the size. So his biggest guitar was a size one. And some of these models were made in, in a specific trim and the number was the price. So at two and a half, 17, it was size two and a half 
and it cost $17. And later on, when the prices went up, those numbers stuck and were associated with the styling of Martin's style, size two and a half guitar. Because people were calling calling him up. People were writing him letters <laughs> saying, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Martin, can I have the look of a two, your two and a half in a size one? And so that then eventually became the 117. And the 17 started to be associated with the styling of the guitar, not the price. So jump to now. Style 21, all the way up until the beginning of World War II, was a rosewood guitar that was known for having a rosette with herringbone trim. Martin lost the ability to acquire herringbone trim during the war because it came from artisans in Germany. And so they got rid of herringbone on all of their models and Style 21 just became the lowest priced rosewood models and eventually became the rosewood version of Style 18. So by the 1960s, a D21 was basically a D18 with a rosewood back and sides. They both had a rosewood bridge and board. They both had black binding, black pickguard, and very simple dot fingerboard and not a lot of trim. Then it went away and didn't come back until they introduced the OM21 in the 1990s. And that remained the only 21 in the catalog except for certain special models that were limited editions. So it's remained with us all this time because of Chris Martin's number one interest, it sells well. And so today it got the ebony bridge and ebony fingerboard from the 1930s back. So now in terms of construction, the OM21 and OM28 are virtually the same guitar, same bracing, same woods. The major difference is the OM21 doesn't have any trim around the edge of the top or the back, doesn't even have a back strip. It's basically uh, simpler appointments and that, and it does not have the volute at the back of the neck where the headstock meets, which is a decorative thing that is carved into the fancier style 28 guitars. So really good guitar, same woods. You might get a little wilder wood. They're going to put the better looking tops on a 28 than a 21. But if you don't care that much about it, you like the natural look of beautiful wood. OM21, the only 21 in the catalog now. Wonderful guitar, least expensive rosewood model in the standard series with all solid tone woods, with a solid neck, with hand scalloped bracing that you don't get in the 16s and 17s and 15s. That, that scalloping is all done by a robot now. Standard series, still made by hand. OM21 cheapest standard series guitar you can get in Rosewood. Oh, wow. That was a great, inspiring legend that you made up. What a bunch of hippy dippy baloney. <laughs> I, I swear, I swear on the grave of hippy Abby Hoffman, that's all true. All right, well, I don't know who keeps pushing those buttons, but I have a serious question for you. You mentioned that the OM21 is basically an OM28 without a backstrip. Why don't those guitars sound exactly the same? Maybe I should ask you first, do you agree with that? I do agree with it. However, not everybody agrees with what I hear. And hearing is a very personal thing. I know I hear lots of subtle things in guitars that other people claim they don't hear. And I get flamed for this on my website, on one man's guitar. I get flamed from this from time to time out there critics out there, but I get an awful lot of people from around the world writing me to say, I own the model that you were just describing. I've never heard anybody else that described the tone of my guitar. And even though you were playing a different, whatever the model was, uh, than mine, you described what my guitar sounds like. So what's the reason? Could it be 
the wood grades. The wood grades are, the woods are still so similar. The quality of the wood that's coming from Martin's acclimation room is so similar. That would come down to the individual soundboard, that piece of spruce, which is the number one reason the guitar has its personality is the particular piece of spruce used for the top are way too similar to say 21s sound different than 28s. In the old days, they tried to say that the D21 was shaved thinner. That's why it sounded sunnier and more open. And that they said that about the original OM21s in the 1990s. Really, it was about the Rosewood Borden Bridge. Now they have the same ebony bridge as the 28. I think it's because the OM21 does not have a trench carved into that thin, solid spruce top where it meets the sides. That trench is where they inlay the purfling in style 28 guitars and style 35 guitars and inlay that abalone shell in the 40s. And the same thing on the back. There's no trim around the edge of the back. And having those, that, those plates of wood thinned out right where they glued to the sides, I cannot believe that can't have some impact on the kinetic energy that's being transferred across that soundboard into the sides and into the back. And I'm, I'm totally open to other people's theories, including the people that say it doesn't make any difference at all. But I know the OM21 sounds different to me than the OM28. And that's really looking at the construction and the physics involved. That's the only change, difference I can see. Well, I was told there'd be no physics on this broadcast, so let's get out of that tangent right there. <laughs> it's been my opinion that sometimes the OM28 sounds just a little bit bassier than an OM21. There are other times, especially when I'm doing our live show on Wednesdays on YouTube, where I take you through a virtual tour of our inventory, I'll sometimes play an OM28 and an OM21 back to back. There are times that I think they sound almost the same, but interestingly enough, I've never thought that the OM21 sounded bassier or warmer than an OM28. So we can go down that rabbit hole a lot longer than anybody wants to listen to, but I'd be interested to know from you guys listening, does anyone out there have the opinion that the OM21 is bassier than the OM28? Well, I've definitely heard people claim they think it's sounded fuller. And again, we're talking about individual guitars with those individual soundboards. And whatever difference we're talking about is extremely minor. That's why I think we have to be careful, too, for a lot of people out there that don't get to go into Moore's music and play lots of Martins and don't get to go to the Martin factory and play lots of Martins. They are so much more similar than they ever were before the OM21 got a ebony bridge. The density, the fingerboard, people could argue how much that might matter, but the density and the, the actual physical properties of um, rosewood versus ebony is definitely different. It definitely has a, the ebony has a dampening feature on the frequencies going through that bridge to that bridge plate that you don't get with rosewood. And all I have to say, we'll get to it later on, but all I have to say for people who doubt that, if you can find yourself a M38 or an M36 from the 70s, there was a brief period where they changed the uh, M36 to an ebony bridge and you play the rosewood version versus the ebony, they are uniformly a darker, fuller sound when you have an ebony bridge. Nowadays, the 21 and the 28 OMs, same bridge, same fingerboard, they're virtually identical. So if there is any real difference other than the uh, thinning out the edge of the top for inlay on the 28s, I can't think of anything that would account for it, um, as I said. Well, speaking of the M38, maybe we should ask our buddy Marshall Fleischer. He's got an old M38, but honestly, I'm not sure if he has the Rosewood Bridge or the Ebony Bridge. Let's get him on the line. <laughs> Are you out there? Yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head if the 38 ever went to Rosewood. The 36 certainly went from Rosewood to Ebony for a time, but um, we're not going to skip to the 30s yet because we have the illustriously famous and much-loved 28s to talk about. Ah, well, when you say 28, do you mean 0028, D28, HD28? Which one are you talking about? There are so many. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because 
The 28s, of course, are the most famous. The D-28 was the dreadnought that won over the world when it was converted from 12th fret to 14th fret in 1934. And, you know, today the D-28s from the 1930s are the most coveted collectible Martins in terms of people who really play them, those, those bluegrass players, big-time bluegrass players. The D-45, of course, they didn't make very many of them, encrusted with the, with the pearl. Those are more expensive purely because of the works of art that they are, and they made so few of them. But today's D-28 is not a direct descendant from those old guitars. The HD-28 is. It's the HD-28 that has the looks of a 1930s D28 now with the herringbone trim and the diamonds and squares fingerboard. The D28, which is the entry-level dreadnought price-wise, does not have that 1930s look. It looks more like a D28 from the 1950s and 1960s, the ones that the Beatles played, the ones that that uh, a lot of bluegrasses play as well, but, but they have that black and white stripes along the edge of the top and the Art Deco white dot, mother pearl dot fretboard that came in again after World War II when they had to get rid of the herringbone. They went with that look, that styling that came from their jazz guitars, their jazz archtop guitars from the jazz age. And in, the, in those days, Martins with a herringbone and diamond and square fretboards were associated with the 1800s and were thought of as your granddad's Martin. And young Fred Martin in those days, when he was taking over the company, wanted to modernize and wanted to bring the looks of Martin guitars forward and in the future. And so that's where the white dots came from and the black and white ply that you saw in Elvis, you know, people like Elvis Presley and, and John Lennon and the people that played the D-28s, Joni Mitchell, that were playing the D-28s across the 50s and 60s. And so when Chris Martin wanted to retroize and reimagine the standard series, he insisted on keeping the D28 more like that. And of course, what's the real big difference in your mind, Maury, between the D28 and the HD28? Well, depending on what year you're talking about, I would say the herringbone trim and the scallop bracing. Well, yeah, scallop bracing is what I'm aiming at. The D28, the standard D28, since 1946, I believe, has not had scallop bracing. And so even when Martin brought back scallop bracing, first with the HD28 and the, uh, the M36 and 38 that we'll talk about in a minute, and then they came out with the Vintage series with the forward shifted scallop bracing and the Golden Era series, with forward shifted scallop bracing, blah, 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 blah. The D28 kept its non-scallop bracing. And so did the D18 until, until the reimagining happened. So you had the D28 now is, is one of the only non-scalloped Martins in the standard series. And it gives you a, a unique sound. It, to my, in my ear and mind, it's a very focused punchy sound with really strong top notes, those fundamental notes um, just stand out. It records wonderfully well. Its tonal signature is heard very clearly when you're playing with other musicians. It doesn't have the natural reverb that you get from scallop bracing that people love so much and, and probably why uh, the HD-28 sells so well. So let me ask you that. D28 is a little less expensive than the HD28. Which one do you feel sells better, at least at Morris Music? Currently, I would admit that it's the HD28, but it's one of those races that's neck and neck. And going back you know, prior to 2018, when uh, inventory levels were a lot healthier, they were probably almost 
almost a dead heat. I think every time we'd sell a couple of D28s, we would think, oh, here they go. This is going to be a trend. And then we'd sell three HD28s. I think very recently, the HD28 has been selling a little bit better. But when I say that to our listeners, what you have to understand is they both outsell almost everything else in the Martin catalog. So we're talking about two of the heaviest hitters. I, I think it's the HD28, but it's not by much. And by no means do I mean that the D28 doesn't sell well. And that's actually a good segue because I have time for a trivia question, Spoon, if you'll indulge me. Sure, by all means. In 2018, most of the standard series got reimagined. For the D28, that happened in a different year. Can you tell us what year the D28 was reimagined? I can. I actually uh, got to play some of those prototypes. And I was there when they unveiled the the new reimagined D28, though they didn't call it reimagined that year. But I'm going to wait because maybe our listeners want to take their own guesses and maybe I should hold my tongue until later. What do you think? I think that would be very prudent of you and I appreciate you keeping a secret. You're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Style 28. Classic Martin. Solid rosewood. Back and sides. Solid six spruce top. Forward shifted scallop bracing on the larger models, except, of course, for the non-scallop bracing on the D28. The OM28, Triple O28, you have long scale versus short scale. They both now have the modern high-performance neck with the same nut width, same width at the 28, uh, 12th fret, sorry. And a lot of guitar. Double O28, very cool. They made almost no Double O28s in the vintage period. They were, uh, it was just sort of left out. Sold a zillion 0018s, but they never made a 0028 in any any number until the, the recent modern standard series 0028. Still uh, setting the standard for what an acoustic guitar should be on a professional level with the hand-fitted dovetail neck joint. Still done by hand. Still requires the highest craftsmanship in the Martin factory, and that's really the watershed between the standard series and 17, 16, 15 series that come before it, is that traditional full-sized, handmade, hand-fitted dovetail neck joint. So taking everything you've just said and kind of converting it from a history lesson into real practice, if you were taking a look at the Martin Standard Series today online, and you're on Mari's Music's website, and you want to buy something for yourself in Rosewood, can you help guide us through your choices, whether you want to stay small body like a double O and a triple O at short scale, whether you want to go a little bit bigger, graduate to long scale, but keep it in a compact body with an OM28, or go all the way to the top size and get a dreadnought, whether it's the D or the HD. We can get into really, really fine detail later. But in, in the broader sense, can you help listeners guide themselves toward maybe the first part of this journey, which size in general to select? No, <laughs> because it's such a personal <laughs> thing. And I own a dreadnought because I love that big, full dreadnought sound. And I also own a triple O size, short scale neck. I own a triple O size that's a long scale neck. They called it a triple O back in the day because it had a 111 16th inch nut when OMs have always had a one and three quarter inch nut, but it had OM bracing, quarter inch scallop bracing at a time when triple O's only had non-scallop five sixteenth inch bracing. So I essentially have an OM and those are my main guitars now. I've owned a variety of OMs. I've owned a variety of triple O's. I love the short scale for my aging hands, frankly, but, uh, but I also love the extra power and spread out voice you get from the OM sound. So that's my personal, all I can talk, talk about is my personal journey in this. So I think, um, I think it really comes down to people having to decide what they want to go with. Obviously, those of us who are lucky enough to be able to afford more than one Martin guitar, having the larger body and the more smaller, short scale, more intimate body is a, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, privilege to own those kind of guitars. And I know we have friends out there who are tapping their foot about all this 28 business because they're much bigger fans of the 35s. So we'll have to move on to that pretty soon. 
<laughs> okay, how about now? Let's take a look at the D35. And I, the, the obvious question stands out to me immediately. If you're looking at something like a D35, what would make you choose that over an HD28 and a D28? And you're not allowed to say appearances. Well, the D35 is a fascinating guitar. We know about the beautiful three-piece back that gives it part of its signature looks when you say you're not allowed to talk about looks, but the tone of it is what wins over uh, a lot of people. And that tone actually comes from the bracing. And the bracing is quarter inch bracing. It's non-scalloped quarter inch bracing. In 1965, they came out with it because people were asking for something that sounded more, had more of a vintage Martin tone to it but they had no craftsmen at that time that were adept at scalloping bracing. They haven't scalloped bracing since the mid 1940s. And so instead they tried thinner bracing that would have less mass to it. And they accidentally invented a new Martin sound that had a very full round base and really precise laser-like trebles. And with all that rosewood complexity that you also got from the 28s, and it became an extremely popular guitar overnight and was the Martin to own for people who could, who could afford anything up into the early 1970s. So I know people uh, who own multiple D35s because they love that D35 sound. Is it true that some of the early D35s had Brazilian rosewood in the wedge? Uh, that is true. It, the original D35s were Brazilian rosewood, just like the 28s were from its introduction in 1965 until they got rid of Brazilian rosewood in uh, 1969. It is my understanding that you can find 1970 D35s that have Brazilian rosewood center wedges. In fact, they've also, I believe, used center wedges in those early 70s period from what might not be Brazilian rosewood. It might actually be Bolivian rosewood, which has a name, a different name, Morado, but I'm not sure if that was ever proven or not. I don't remember. I have a question for you, Spoon, and for our listeners. I'm gonna ask you, and you'll have to wait three seconds, so not to spoil the answer. When you're looking at a D35 from the back, it is obvious it's a D35. If you're looking at the D35 from the front, how can you tell that it's a D35 and it's not a D28? And the answer is, it has a bound neck. The binding on today's D35 and all of the rosewood models is what they call antique white. Prior to the reimagined standard series of 2018, it would have been a very bright argent white binding, but now it's antique white, which is a slightly duller, duller white. So it looks more like the binding that has aged on a Martin from the 1950s or 1960s. And uh, I really like the look of that. And a D35 has a bound neck. When you have the binding off the neck, it covers up the ends of the frets. So you never get those kind of sharp fret edges in your hand. And it also looks uh, quite classy and, or, and classic. And nowadays the D35 uh, looks a little different from the D28 in the details of the rosette and the fretboard. I don't think they're exactly the same. I think the dots might be slightly different size, but really when you get up to the headstock, that's where you'll see another major difference. The tuning machines on style 28 these days has the open back vintage style tuners, going back to the 1930s look where 35s have the larger chrome tuners with closed backs. And some people really like that look and some people don't like that look, but it is what it is. That goes back to uh, the 35s because the 35s weren't around in the 1930s. They decided to keep the legacy look from the 35s that you could buy in the late 20th century. I don't have anything to add to that except to say I knew that. <laughs> ah, and you also know how that makes the D35 different from the HD35. Why not I let you talk about that? 
It's the bracing. When you graduate from a D35 to an HD35, you're getting quarter-inch bracing that becomes scalloped. And as we know, the more flexible the bracing pattern is, the more bass response you get. And that makes the HD35 possibly the bassiest standard series rosewood dreadnought you can get. I would agree. I would agree. I think the 35s with their quarter-inch bracing is, is a slightly different bass sound to it, bass and mids and treble as you go up. It's a unique voice compared to the 28s. People can debate about what that really means. To my ear, the 35 bass is a rounder, rounder, almost bulbous bottom end to it compared to the 28s. And I think the HD35 with the scalloped quarter-inch bracing, you're getting into what's basically a supercharged top. It's unusual to have thin bracing on a dreadnought anyway, and then to scallop that and make it even more flexible, you're getting that extra body resonance and extra reverb. And we should also point out all of these dreadnoughts have forward shifted bracing now. And that means that the main X brace is closer to the sound hole and more importantly, a little farther away from the bridge plate than it would have been in the 20th century from 1939 when they got rid of forward shifted bracing. And so that makes that area around the bridge plate more flexible. And that also makes the whole plane across the bottom bout between the X brace, we have those tone bars coming across, that's more flexible. And that's where you're getting the bass response from. So the combination of the extra bass response from forward shifted bracing and the extra bracing response of scallop bracing and the extra reverb and reverberation from the quarter inch scallop bracing just makes that HD35 the most complex, richest, bassiest bear in the Martin lineup, in my opinion. So to put it in perspective so our listeners get a, a better idea of what you're talking about, when I ask you, let's record this podcast every week, would you say you're as flexible with your time as a D28, an HD28, or an HD35? I would probably have to say the D28, unfortunately. <laughs> but, I would agree. But, but thanks for asking. <laughs> the HD35 has the vintage tuners, has the herringbone trim, has the diamonds and squares pattern on the fingerboard. So it looks more like those pre-war D28s, except the three-piece back. But the three-piece back has even got herringbone between the wedges. That beautiful uh, three-piece back with the alternate center wedge. So the outside wedges of a 35 come from the same piece of wood. The inside comes from a different piece of wood that gives you this really nice tableau of rosewood grain. Um, you get those both on the HD 35 and the D35, and uh, you don't find those that on the 28s. Now, Spoon, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just put on a very, very powerful pair of glasses that lets me see into the future just a little bit. And some people are very disappointed that we're stuck on the number 35. Does Martin make anything in the standard series named 36? <laughs> yes, they do. There is a 36, and it is, of course, the only 36 they've ever made, really. Uh, that's the M36. What can you tell us about the M36, Marty? The M is an interesting concept. It, it's a combination of an OM and a jumbo. If you looked at the guitar head-on, it's got the silhouette of a jumbo guitar, but if you turned it on its side and you looked at it as far as depth, it's as deep as an OM, so you might make an argument that it's a shallow body jumbo, or, well, I don't know what you would call it, but that's what it is. The way I would describe an M, if an OM is a little bit too small for you, Dreadnought's a little bit too big for you, and when I say that, I mean either in tone or just, you know, physically uncomfortable on your lap, the M36 is ironically at the same time one of the most versatile guitars Martin ever made and one of the least popular and most, I would almost put it into the hidden gems category. No, I totally agree, Maury. Uh, the M size is something that some people really love a lot and other people know nothing about. The M, which actually stands for Grand Auditorium, was the first body size in a long time that got a letter 
You had the OM in the early 1930s and the D dreadnought in the 1930s and all the way up to 1979. And then they came out with the M. And one of the reasons they used that 1930s idea was because the M has the body silhouette of one of Martin's 1930s jazz sizes called the size F. And in the folk boom, people were taking some of Martin's old jazz guitars with those arch tops and removing the arch top and having a local luthier put a flat top with X bracing on top of it. And the F was the largest size. It had the widest top that Martin had made at that time. And David Bromberg was famous for having a F that was changed to a flat top. And he actually brought one of his converted guitars to the Martin factory and showed it to Fred Martin. And that led to Martin coming out with a model called the M38. The M38 is made now and again. It's not in the catalog right now, but it has a pearl rosette and, and some other features that make it a little fancier than the M36. The M36 was the more affordable and was the more popular M. And Chris Martin brought it back because he believes in legacy and he believes they should always have at least one M in the lineup. And as you know, we have friends who are big fans of M's and play M Martins. Well, yeah, we already mentioned Marshall. Were you thinking of somebody else? Yeah, our friend Tony Phillips is a fan of M's. He's a fan of Martins at all sizes, well. <laughs> but he, he has had M's. Yeah, we forgot to mention him with all the other models and sizes and shapes and colors and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, yes. Yeah, I've owned M's, and, uh, and they are an extremely versatile guitar. I think of them as a, a supersized triple O. You referred to them as like OM and Jumbo. I think of them as a triple O because they seem to have a really punchy mid-range. And uh, a lot of finger pickers like them. Arlo Guthrie was a, a fan of M-sized guitars. And Jorma Kalkinen's guitar is based on an M, his signature model. Uh, the late Woody Mann, who unfortunately left us only recently, his signature model is an M. Steve Howes uh, from Yes, his Martin signature model, one of his Martin signature models is an M. And really, uh, really interesting, versatile guitar. Sean Colvin? Sean Colvin, very good. Yeah, these are long scale Martins. The M36, that is the only M available in the catalog right now. The M36 has a three-piece back like the Style 35 guitars, but it's reason it's called 36 instead of 35. They made, I think, 29 M35s before somebody said, we can't call this a 35. It's not exactly the same. The original M36 was one of the first Martins to get a vintage toner top because they were trying to tie in to those converted uh, 1930s Martins. So it had a vintage toner top and it has a rosewood bridge, but an ebony fretboard. And that is a very unusual combination. And it gives the M36 a special sound compared to the M38, the M36, has a little more open sound, a little more sunny sound to it. It's a very musical sound to it. It's not quite as warm and dark as you get from similar guitars that have a ebony bridge. Well, now the natural progression is going to make me ask you, is there anything number 39 before I want to talk about one of my favorite <laughs> guitars, the J40? If they ever made a style 39 guitar, I'm unaware of it. Well, then it never happened. <laughs> well, you mentioned the J40. Here again, we have the second style in a row that is limited to exactly one model. They used to make a D40. Maybe they'll make it again, but now we have the J40. Now, what the J40 gives you, as soon as you hit 40, you start to talk about pearl trim. <laughs> thought you were going to say you start to lose your eyesight. That's what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the only jumbo in the standard series. So you have the, as you said, the same silhouette as the M. It is a very wide top, 16 inch wide top. So it's wider than a dreadnought, but it has a narrow waist like an OM and a triple O. 
And so some people find it more comfortable than the dreadnoughts, particularly people who play standing up because that big wide bottom bout is kind of off to the side. You still have to kind of reach over it, but not to the same extent as a dreadnought. And they have their own unique sound. They again sound, to me, they sound more like an M than a D, but with the bass on the equalizer turned way up. So you have a wonderful wallowing bass, especially with the forward shifted scallop bracing that the J40 has. So powerful guitar, but still a good finger picker. The, you don't have quite the mid-range scoop you get from a dreadnought. So people who play a lot of finger picking music often like jumbos if you want volume and projection, but want a nice uh, mid-range coming forward. Really, really good guitar. Uh, there've been a lot of jumbo 12 string models. We don't have one in the standard series right now, but um, when I think of J40s, I think of the Indigo Girls. They have matching black J40s of their main guitars. The way I would describe a jumbo, uh, for those of you guys listening, and, and hopefully what I'm going to say is going to be correct and Spoon could validate my feelings. I think that a jumbo, the bass E string on a jumbo guitar sounds like it has a lot of power and it goes forward versus the bass E string on a dreadnought guitar built out of the same wood goes everywhere like a subwoofer and almost a, an 18 inch subwoofer versus a 12 inch closed back cabinet. If that's just one bad analogy traded for another, I think there's more focus in the jumbo guitar and spoon. I, I don't know if you would agree. Well, I would say I actually do agree. And I, it's not a matter of validating your opinion. We're both talking about the exact same phenomenon of a particular sound of a particular type of guitar. And we might just say it very differently. And I think the subwoofer, uh, metaphor is perfect because that dreadnought bass is kind of deep and spreads out. And similar to what I said about the M reminding me of a supersized triple O versus an OM, where the OM, the voice kind of spreads out and the triple O kind of goes forward and it's punchy. The M's punchy like a triple O, just bigger and louder with a little with more bass. The jumbo, same thing. It's even a supersized M. And so it is more focused and going forward. And I agree with you that subwoofer bass from a dreadnought, it's not radiating into the mid so much, so the mid sound clearer. And so you get, uh, when you're finger picking a, a jumbo, you're getting very clear mids and trebles. And it's not just all about the bass like you can feel when you're trying to uh, finger pick a dreadnought. So yeah, it's the biggest body size that uh, I would recommend for finger pickers who want a big sound. Is it time now we can finally talk about the D41, the D42, the D45, the big boys in the standard series, both in price, size, and stature? Absolutely. And we mentioned about how the OM21 and the OM28 are virtually the same guitar now because of how they have the they have the exact same construction and all that's different is the trim. And maybe they, you know, purfling around the edge matters and maybe it doesn't or the lack of it. Maybe that affects sound production in some small way. Well, now we have the D41, the D42 and the D45. Prior to the reimagined standard series with them getting the antique white binding and getting all forward shifted bracing, there was a time when the D42 was the only forward shifted dreadnought of those three dreadnoughts and the D45 and the D41 were not forward shifted. There was a time when the D41 had non-scallop bracing and the D45 had non-scallop bracing. We're going all the way back now to the early 1970s. But now these three guitars are basically the same guitar except for two things, the grade of the wood, which is supposed to be entirely cosmetic. And the fact that the D41 has that beautiful abalone inlay, that glittering, sparkling, multicolored abalone is inlaid in a trench around the edge of the top. It's a different size trench than you get from inlaying the plastic or wood fiber binding in style 28 and style 35 style 36 to inlay that's that abalone abalone is a very unique substance in nature it is basically a composite cement that is made by that creature the abalone 
mollusk. And it's one of the hardest, densest material in the world. Now they use a veneer of it that's making it even even stronger and even even denser. They use a veneer of it because they want to put the most beautiful abalone on the outside, and they save that for the outside layers of that abalone. D41, that is around the edge of the top. D42, it's around the edge of the top and around the fretboard extension that is glued to the top with the uppermost frets, and as I call it, the fretinsula. D45, it's around the edge of the top, around the edge of that fretboard extension. It's around the edge of the sides where it meets the top. It's around the edge of the sides where it meets the back. It's inlaid along the, the box at the end of the guitar with it, where the strap pin goes in, the end pin. It's around the sides where the full-size dovetail neck joint sets into the neck block. It's all around that, and all of those, all of those places have that rosewood carved thinner, and that makes that whole box of the D45 radiate more with tone than you get from the D41 and the D42. And I know there's people that say, oh, they all sound the same. Well, they certainly don't to me. So almost the exact same beautiful wood Style 42 and 45 get slightly higher woods than the 41, but that beautiful pearl increases from 41 to 42 to 45. And uh, just absolutely glorious Martin Luthery at its finest. Which of these three is your favorite, the D41, the D42, or the D45? Well, it's got to be the D45 for what I just said. I think it is the, simply the most gloriously complex, colorful Martin tone. Um, we didn't even talk about the fretboards. Why don't you mention the difference in the fretboards of those guitars? Oh, I'm going to get flame for this because I was talking about this a couple weeks ago on Virtual Tour. I really like the hexagon inlay on the D45 myself. Well, I think the, I think it's gorgeous. I, I'm a big fan of the Snowflake uh, on the Style 42, which also includes the OM42 that we didn't really have time to talk about. But that gives you the same styling as a D42, only in the OM body size. And boy, do those look fabulous with a sunburst top, with that pearl around the black, black edge of the sunburst tops. But for people who don't know, D41 has smaller hexagons than the D45. The hexagons were originally came from the upscale archtop guitars, again from the 1930s, and they were converted to the D45 in 1939. Uh, before that, the D45 had what you, we now see on the D42. There were a couple custom D42s made back in the day for famous people, and they, they didn't have that same fretboard. They just called them D42s, and they didn't have the D45 Pearl on the around the edges and on the, around the back. But now the D42 looks like a pre-war D45, and the D45 looks like a post-1938 D45. But I think I like the hexagons too. That's the D45 of Crosfields, Nash & Young that they all bought you know, in the 19, late 1960s when they brought back the model. And that's the D, you know, where the D41 was Dan Fogelberg's D41. I like, you know, uh, George Jones's D41. I like all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me for interrupting this podcast again, but I want to circle back and answer my trivia question. What year was the Martin D28 reimagined? The new D28 debuted at Summer Nam in 2017 with forward shifted bracing and the looks and styling that would appear on the other standard series guitars the following January at Winter Nam in 2018. Your record is not broken. You have answered every trivia question accurately, and I'm just, and I'm not even surprised anymore. You just know it all. Speaking of know it all, I should ask you, maybe you can tell us some insider information. The fact that the D28 was reimagined in 2017 did that actually give the green light to do the rest of the series as a whole for the reimagined 2018, or had they thought about that along the way anyway? Yeah, I think they were preparing to do it. They were releasing that first to see what the, what the waters were like. I think it gave them the 
the green light in the uh, in the minds of the executives to go ahead and really push it out as a big thing as opposed to dropping them in a few a few models at a time. Let me ask you more a quick to go trivia question. The D18 actually got its makeover long before the D28 and the rest of the standard series. Can you tell me what year that took place? I can, but I'm going to wait a moment and see if our listeners can guess as well. Time's up. 2012. That's right. It goes all the way back to 2012 that the D18 and the 00018 switched from the Rosewood Bridge to the Ebony Bridge and Ebony Fingerboard and started moving more toward the looks of the old D18 vintage series guitar. And that uh, was so popular. And the 00018 makeover was so popular that really snowballed into today's standard series, which is uh, really does set the standard for excellence and what a professional level acoustic guitar can be. We talked a few moments ago about Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I know we're both huge fans of that group, and I suspect we're both huge fans of the movie Step Brothers. <laughs> I have an idea. When you think of the D45, which member of CSNY do you instantly think of? One, two, three, Dave, Dave Crosby. Crosby. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Well, Spoon, you know what the music means. We're out of time. I want to thank our listeners for sticking around with us. And we didn't get to everything in the Standard Series, but if there's something you'd like to talk about, maybe a suggestion you have for a future podcast, or if you just want more information about any of the Standard Series guitars, whether we cover them today or not, please contact us at support at mariesmusic.com. From all of us at Mari's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. Music.com.